Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Agios Dose. My name is Bill Dykstra. And my name is Sarah Dykstra. And this weekend, we are celebrating, quote-unquote celebrating, I guess we're still celebrating, we're celebrating the fourth Sunday of the Great Fast, which is the Sunday of John Climacus and the Divine Ladder. I think that, um, that this is quite a trip. This is pretty crazy this year. Um, like no other year in recent history, uh, you know, for us, Divine Liturgy is completely cancelled and will likely be cancelled for Easter. And it's just a wild world right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. were saying that there are good things, though, about what's happening. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into some of that with our topic today. But, totally. Um, one thing I've noticed is a lot of young families in our neighborhood like going for walks and stuff together and we kind of have a big window so we get to see like we know certain dogs at certain days of the week certain times of day go for their walks and we have our favorites um but I've noticed a lot more families and different people that I'm not normally seeing in our normal weekly routine and so I think if if we all approach it the right way um I think Father Gregory said this week that it's a time to be hidden, to hide ourselves away with God. Whether that's our, our choice or not is kind of irrelevant if we embrace it as a retreat and as part mm-hmm. of our Lenten. Father Gregory is a, is a uh, hair monk here in Saskatoon. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. quite the spiritual father to a lot of us. Yeah, And he was saying the other night, I, I, I go to a Bible study every Tuesday night uh, and... This Tuesday, he didn't really preach all that much from Matthew. Look, um, look, the Bible studies on Matthew, but um, he did quote Matthew and just sprang from that for the rest of the evening. He quoted Matthew saying, "You know, it was the passage on uh, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray in public. When you pray, do so in secret, so your heavenly Father will reward will reward you in secret." Mm-hmm. And um, and he really believes that. This is a time for us to to kind of monasticize the home, uh, to bring prayer life into the home. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's probably pretty on points right now. Yeah. It's a weird kind of like reverse desert experience. Hey, you're not going out into the wilderness. There's kind of this wilderness of the interior. Anyway, so I think that's one thing we just wanted to encourage people in that. And I think I know a lot of families who are really embracing this as a retreat time and a time to just connect and spend some time together. I mean, Um, they'll also drive you crazy. That's another part of asceticism is the interpersonal asceticism of, you know, needing to deal with someone. Cabin fever. Cabin fever. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, and it's going to maybe make us holier that way as well. But even that in itself, it's part of Lent, right? Or part of the desert experience, the temptation, right? Yeah. Anyway, speaking of temptations. Speaking of temptations. And asceticism. And asceticism. What are, oh yes, well. <laughs> Unless there's more you want to Well, that's time. the thing. I thought that, I was like, what exactly are you referring to? <laughs> like. Our topic? Are, or have I been tempted in some way? And <laughs> oh, away no. from the fast? I'm like, what are you saying? But no, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, the, uh, the Ladder of Divine Ascent by St. John Climacus. Mm -hmm. St. John was a monk in the 4th century, I want to say. Maybe 5th century. And he wrote a treatise on monasticism, on -hmm. the ascent to God. And it it also inspired a corresponding icon. I'm sure you've seen it. It has a whole bunch of old monks who are climbing the ladder up to God. And at various points on the ladder, they're being shot at by arrows from these little black winged creatures. And they're like falling off some Mm -hmm. of them. And um, I I really like that icon. And so this work, it has, uh, I think, 30 steps. I don't know. I forget. I haven't I'm read the whole right thing. Now. But today we're just going to talk about step one. We're <laughs> just going to talk about what St. John Climacus says is the very first step to holiness. Mm-hmm. And I th- read it. We both read it 
it's really great. Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful. And we're going to include a link where you can just get the whole PDF uh, online for free. And you can read it yourself. I definitely, I read this one years ago. And I hadn't read it since. I wanted to read it again this year, but didn't get around to it. And I forgot how flippin' beautiful it is. It is mm -hmm. written so well, so poetic, and it it has a lot of hard truths. It's it's a blunt document, mm -hmm. and but the way he gives it is with as much uh, finesse and kind of honey to the words <laughs> that you kind of don't notice it. Yeah, actually, I was surprised. I had never <clears throat> read it yet. And I just read the first step because um, we decided that we'll just do the first step because we're beginners in the spiritual life. Um, and uh, yeah, I was surprised at how poetic it is, but also how like not dense. It didn't feel really like a tough slug. Like some sometimes when you're reading, you know, older texts that have been translated or whatever, um, they're not always like easy and poetic and a little bit funny in spots. Yeah, he yeah. is funny. And the trans, so the translation is very accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think also that it's very appropriate, mm -hmm. uh, because what St. John says, the first step to the spiritual life is, is the renunciation of the world, mm -hmm. which practically we are all doing right now. Whether we like it or not. Whether you like it or not, it's kind of like the world has renounced us. And yeah. we're sent to our homes. Anyways, we've all both read it. We both have our notes. So I, what I wanted to do was mm -hmm. just highlight uh, how he begins the yeah. treaty. Mm -hmm. And he says this, let us write this treaty with a pen taken from their knowledge, their being the saints, and dipped in the ink of humility, which is both subdued yet radiant. Then let us apply it to the smooth white paper of their hearts and rest it on the tablets of the spirit. And let us inscribe the divine words and let us begin like this. Hmm. And so it's like, it's really nice because it's like, he's writing with the tradition that has been passed down and he's writing it with humility. Mm -hmm. And so there's no real point that I wanted to make aside from this is, this is what you would expect to read um, going on. This is what the kind of thing that, that is um, available to you here. Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of this beautiful yet very holy man. Um, is kind of relaying this to us. So Sarah, how about we begin with you? What are some of the points that you wanted to draw out? Um, I'm just thinking because I made a lot of notes and some of them were just for me. <laughs> um, he talks, um, if we just go chronologically, he talks about the need for a soul that's attached to the world, <clears throat> um, that wants to become holy, <clears throat> actually needs a great toil or uh, viol not violence in the sense of like war, but it needs to have some sort of violent, constant suffering or great toil or unseen um, cross to bear in order to really get to the point um, where it's properly detached from the world, where the mm -hmm. priorities become, where a person's priorities become reoriented. Mm -hmm. yeah, and he, he talks about, oh, go ahead. Uh, he, yeah, he talks, he begins it by saying, you know, there is all of these people in the world and they're all on this spectrum uh, in their proximity to God. And we could write a treaty on each and every one <laughs> yeah. of these different spots, but we're not going to. Yeah. We're going to talk about the people who want to get close to God. Yeah. And he says, he actually starts it by saying, what we're not going to talk about. Yeah. Or what holiness is not. Yeah. And then, and he can contra contrast that with what you're saying, yeah. what holiness actually is. Yeah. And so I just thought it was interesting because I think even those of us that are like endeavoring to um, participate in the spiritual life and who kind of know these things and want to become holier and want to sort of cooperate with God, um, 
I think we still even have moments where we like don't want to toil and we don't want to suffer, you know, and he's just pretty straightforward, like pretty quickly into the thing. I think it's like 0.7 or something out of, I don't know if he has like 30 points or whatever. And he's just like, boom, this is necessary. <laughs> it's necessary. Something mm -hmm. that's a great toil or great suffering. And I think also, I mean, he gets into later, like, I think that's not to negate like the little way or like the little sufferings that add up over time. He does in incorporate that as like, that's part of what he's talking about. Um, but I just really liked, I just wanted to read this quote. So the goal of this great suffering is so that your it says um, to get your soul at the point where until by simplicity, deep angerlessness and diligence, we make our mind, which is a greedy kitchen dog addicted to barking <laughs> uh, and that we make it a lover of chastity and watchfulness instead. And I just love that image of the greedy kitchen dog <laughs> addicted to barking. Because mm -hmm. uh, I think that's like our, that's it. Yeah identifiable to our age of like social media and like distractions. Totally. I mean, like absolutely. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And really, I mean, if you, if you're not sure, if you believe that I would say just try to do meditation, <laughs> try to do meditation. And then you'll realize that your mind is constantly just barking up thoughts mm -hmm. and yeah. ideas. Mm -hmm. And I like what he had to say even before that. Mm -hmm. uh, he talks mm -hmm. about unless you are going through asceticism. Well, I'll just quote it directly. Sure. He goes, all who have willingly left the things of the world have certainly done so for the sake of the future kingdom or because of the multitude of their sins or for love of God. If they were not moved by any of these reasons, their withdrawal from the world is unreasonable. <laughs> and I, I really liked that. And what it conjured in my head where, you know, the people who get up early on Sunday morning for yoga. <laughs> or, or the people who abstain their whole lives from, you know, meat and dairy. You know, I don't want to say veganism, but veganism. <laughs> you know, or, you know, like just weird kind of um, ascet like food asceticism for no other reason but maybe for health. He says that's completely irrational mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I, I think, I think in my mind, how I reason that out is that if you're not living your life for God and if you're not going for holiness, you might as well just indulge, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's where my, I don't know if that's what John is saying, but it's like, it makes no sense for you to want to be ascetic because you're not going to gain any of the virtue and sanctification that comes from it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, why don't you go with your next next point? Um, well, that just made me thought of something. Or, or if you have something further to say about it. Because um, later he gets back into this thing. So he kind of, that I don't know if you caught that, but the three things are that are broken down there. Reasons to leave things of this world are for the sake of the future kingdom, out of the multi knowledge of the multitude of our sins, or for love of God. And later he says, um, the man who renounces the world from fear... Is like burning incense that begins with fragrance and ends in only smoke. Hmm. The man who leaves the world through hope of a reward is like a millstone that always moves in the same direction. But the person who withdraws from the world out of love for God has obtained fire at the very outset. And like hmm. fire set to fuel, it soon will enkindle a larger fire. So he's saying the best reason to do these things, to withdraw from the world, to... Mm -hmm. um, take on asceticism is out of love for God. Mm -hmm. But um, he does talk about how these other things are kind of useful to a point. <laughs> like they start out okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, after yeah. a certain point, they're... If they... You, you need to grow in You, you have reason. to move from there. If you're only afraid of hell. So we were talking about this the other day is like, you know, starting out on the spiritual life or in asceticism out of a fear of hell say is better than not doing it. <laughs> it's better than sin. Yeah. It's but better it's, than damning yourself. It right? does need to, it needs to need move to, on from there. And we need to yeah. remind ourselves, I think, because I think sometimes, um, 
like overall when you stop and think about it you're like well yeah the reason that I'm doing this is out of love for God but I think in the moment sometimes we're not reminding ourselves of that reason we're just like oh I gotta do this or like there's some kind of weird like oh I said I would do this for Lent so I gotta keep you know Mm -hmm. and I think I need to remind myself like it has to it should be out of love and I should be endeavoring to remind myself. Mm-hmm. But I also love. don't think that, as I said last week, that, mm-hmm. that fear of hell is something that's beneath us. No, no. Or, um, or hope of rewards. Same, same yeah. thing. It's not horrible oh, totally. if it gets you, um, Oh, there was, well, there's, there's, there's something those, else about that. To that point, there's yeah. like indulgences and stuff like that. Yeah. That is prayer with a reward. Yeah. And, and it's like, it, it exists. Yeah. I mean, we can't get out of the system that um, prayer is to our benefit. And sometimes we pray just because it'll benefit us. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. That's, n- again, not beneath me. No, no. You know? And um, it's a good starting point, I think, is what It's a starting point. And the thing is, we can't be too proud to admit those things. Yeah. That, you know, I'm praying right now for either fear or out of, you know, hope of getting something, that's not a concept that I'm too good for. Yeah, and at least to be honest with yourself. Yeah, totally. To, to start thinking about, like... And I think that's where some of our... Sorry, I'm di- digressing a little bit here, but I think that's where it comes into play when you're deciding what to do for a Lenten observance, too. I think sometimes we're talked out of doing really challenging things and sometimes it's for a good reason and sometimes it's not so I've often heard I don't know if this is something you've heard Bill you could correct me if I'm like weird in this but I feel like I've heard people who say they want to do something kind of intense like cold showers for all of Lent or like no pillow or something like this Mm -hmm. and then I hear other people say them oh I don't know you should be careful you should should talk to a spiritual director first and that's not horrible advice but then I've heard of people being talked out of these things which are like intense for us but not intense by like church early church father standards yeah and I think one of the reasons for that is that we we have to make sure we're not doing these things out of pride or out of this like for lack of a better word, machoism. I think women do it too, but I can't think of the right word of like this, like hair, we want to be like a hero. Um, But if we're doing it like humbly and out of love and you're like, no, I need to just do something that's just a little harder than what I'm comfortable with. It bothers me when people are talked out of those things because someone's afraid that they might be being... Or they don't have perfect intentions. Like, are you the Blessed Virgin Mary? (laughs) Like... What the heck is the matter with you? If you don't have, you know, the most yeah. authentic intentions in the world, that's okay. God can work with it. Yeah, and you know? I think that's what's interesting about him is there's less of that. Like, Sounds like pride to me. Pride, 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 pride. Yeah, but that's <laughs> that, I think that's what I'm hearing here. Here, that's interesting and different than I think our approach nowadays or that I've heard of recently is like actually, um, what does he say? Like, uh, it's... He says, like, if it's just your circumstances that have you being an ascetic because you're poor, he's like, that still works sometimes. Mm. Um, If you want to pass me the sheet, I'll find it because there's a good quote in there. Um, It's like number 18 or something. He's like, sometimes people, uh, okay. Um, Let us not even abhor or condemn the renunciation due merely to a person's circumstances. I've seen men who have fled into exile meet the emperor by accident when he was on tour and join his company, enter his palace and dine with him. I've seen a seed that casually fell on the earth bear plenty of thriving fruit. So he's saying, yeah, basically reiterating that point that if you're just... If you just happen to be, like, you can't afford fancy food or whatever, that also God can work with that. And so I think what I take from that is it's okay to take something on that might be a little bit of a challenge, even if your motives are mixed. And we should try to be honest with ourselves. But totally. Yeah, it's just a, an interesting and a different take than what I've mm-hmm. heard more recently from people. Mm-hmm. My next thing. What's your next thing? Well, I like the fact that, well, one, we're talking about, this is always a pet topic of mine, that 
Asceticism is the first step to holiness, that renouncing the world, that and um, repentance of sins, this is the first step to holiness because I think for myself, being a real product of like Catholic youth ministry and, and all that kind of jazz, um, there are some really wonky ideas that are floating around there that is that are being um, proposed as, you know, authentic Catholic spirituality. Mainly the idea that you kind of travel from one point of emotional high to the next. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's pretty dangerous because it means that God is immediately your feelings. And what I was, for me, being raised in that kind of milieu, having formation in that milieu, I don't think that, I think I was just kind of spinning my tires for a while. Because the, in, the entirety of our Catholic tradition suggests that uh, the movement towards God begins with a renunciation of the world and the con uh, confession of your sins. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to quote him saying, All who enter upon the good fight, which is hard and narrow, but also easy, must realize that they must leap into the fire if they really expect the celestial fire to dwell in them. Oh, yeah, I had that one written down, too. That's Isn't that like, awesome? Dude. And he goes on to say, um, those who enter this contest must renounce all things, despise all things, deride all things, and shake off all things, that they may lay a firm foundation. A good foundation of three layers and three pillars is innocence, fasting, and temperance. Let all babes in Christ begin with these virtues, taking as their model the natural babes. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I really love that because mm -hmm. it, is, it, is, it is that firm foundation. And we, we often start at the, where we start is often where, where we'll start again. <laughs> you know, where we, where we need to kind of perfect those things. I think that God kind of, I don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I kind of feel like God kind of takes our efforts and he's like, okay, I'm going to try to work with this. Yeah. Even if we're starting at the wrong it's, place. It kind of like if you have a kid and you've been struggling with, you know, whatever, getting them off video games or encouraging them to do chores. And then all of a sudden one night they're asking, oh, what are you doing? Trying to cook, like, in your cooking supper, something you've been trying to get them to do, like, mm. and you're like, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, look at, you know, <laughs> I remember my mom being, like, so pumped as soon as we showed interest in, like, cooking. Because she's like, yes, please, here, I'll give you whatever you, you need. What do you want to make? We'll get the groceries. Because oh, she just yeah, wanted us to learn how yeah. to cook or do laundry or whatever it was. Um, so it's like, when you've been kind of waiting for you know it happens with children you've been waiting for a sign of interest in a certain area and then you're like rushing to meet them I think God's a bit like that with us sometimes yeah maybe and what he does he kind of goes on from there what he's yeah. talking about there so first I want to say again innocence fasting and temperance those are the three things that we need and I think those are the three things that we're kind of terrified of yeah. today that um, that if we show too much, that either we're incredulous, is the the opposite, or we're overzealous. Mm -hmm. And I think that the I think that what John is about to say is in line with what you were saying about people who are dissuaded from really going hard mm -hmm. into their fasting. He says yep. this: to lag in the fight at the very outset and the struggle and thereby to furnish proof of our coming defeat is a very hateful and dangerous thing. A firm beginning will certainly be useful for us when we grow, when we latter grow slack. A soul that is strong at first, but then relaxes is spurred on by the memory of its former zeal. And in this way, new wings are often obtained. So he's mm -hmm. saying, what he's saying is, if you, everyone is going to slack. Everyone is going to start feeling great about, you know, and they'll have the zeal. But what's going to happen is you're going to go downhill afterwards. Yeah. Or like that is a thing that happens. And yeah. so when you, so start out super strong, strong, like don't go crazy. Don't start whipping yourself. 
Or or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you should start with I don't know. But um <laughs> But I would say like uh level up from what you are comfortable with just a little bit is yeah. where I would say I mean use that zeal and use your newfound encounter with the Lord to to go hard. Because I think what what we often we often look at at converts and we see how uh energetic they are. Mm-hmm. And we think that that's a cute thing, but really, this is this is the one of the most important things about becoming a Christian is how you become a Christian. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you were going to say something, uh, but I think part of that is like when you look at yeah, like new converts or someone starting out. He's also saying, which I think is what isn't in the conversations with those people sometimes. Um, is that you probably are going to lag. You probably are going to trip and lose your zeal at some point and need to kind of reset. Um, and I think we don't, if someone's left to their own devices and they're like a new convert full of zeal, that's where the problem is. The problem is not that they're starting out strong or with the bar high. The problem is how they process it their expectation that they're not going to fail. And then sometimes that causes people mm-hmm. to lose their faith entirely. Yeah. So as long as we have the humility to recognize. So I think you need humility if you're going to start out strong with the bar high. And I think that's mm. what he's saying is that you are going to lag. Like, don't be precious about that when it happens, just reset, mm-hmm. but you need to have started strong in order to have the reset be effective, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's like a psychological tool. Yeah, and so I think why we hear people warn against starting strong or starting with a real challenge is because they're thinking, okay, if you're new to this and then you really challenge yourself and then you fail, then you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm like, well, he's saying not if we kind of know what to expect. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And if you do that, then starting strong is actually the best way. Mm-hmm. But realize that it's going to... Um, and then the other thing he says is that you're going to start out strong. And then as you get into it, it's going to feel hard and like really wearisome and toilsome. But then um, there will come a point where it's actually joyful. And yep. to give this something up or joyful to deny yourself and it, it, it will shift at some point mm-hmm. and you'll go through kind of these phases. He says exactly that. He yeah. actually uses the word joy three times Yes, in the whole, in the whole thing. And he says, um, it's number 16, I think. Well, there's number 16 <clears throat> in, in paragraph 17. Mm-hmm. And there was another point. I highlighted all of them. I want to come back and to number point fif- 22. Yeah. I want to come back to number 15 too. Don't let well, me Well, you know what? I wanted to end with joy anyways. Okay. So go to, go to 15. Okay. So then the other thing, can I read it? Cause it's amazing. Okay. Go ahead. So he talks about, so this is kind of, we're going um, sideways, but we'll come back to this thing about starting out and, um, but he says, <clears throat> Sorry, I just want to find here. He mentions the barking dogs again. (laughs) So he says, I have seen men who were going to steal and were not afraid of God, but hearing the barking of a big dog, they at once turned back. And that the fear of God, what the fear of God could not achieve was done by the fear of animals. (laughs) Let us love God at least as much as we respect our friends. For I've seen people who have offended God were not in the least perturbed about that. And I have seen how these same people provoked their friends in some trifling matter and then employed every artifice, every device, every sacrifice, every apology, both both personally and through friends and relatives, not sparing gifts in order to regain the friend's former love. And he's saying, like, we need to look at this because sometimes... I mean, that goes back to the, like doing these things out of love of God. Oh, totally. But also what, what it's also saying, I, again, I'm going to be criticizing my, you know, former formation, but we talked a lot about friendship with God and he's saying here, he's saying, yeah, we do need to have friendship with God yeah. at the very least. Yeah. This is, this is C level. Friendship with God is C level. And then it's going to go deeper than that. Yes. You know? <laughs> um, and so we talked about in friendship with God before, uh, at any kind of thing that I was at as like the most pinnacle of, of 
It's the apex of, of your spiritual life is your quote unquote friendship with God. That God is like a friend, but no, God is so much more than a friend. Mm-hmm. I remember at our marriage prep, Father Gregory saying that a relationship with God, because yeah, we do have a relationship with God. We also have a relationship with our mailman, right? Mm-hmm. Our relationship with God, he says, is spousal. Mm-hmm. And and the the depth of that relationship, you know, is not no one reaches to the bottom of that mm-hmm. in their lives mm-hmm. and after their lives. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I really appreciated about his comment there, because at the same time, he still does not dispense with believing that you do need to experience God first. Mm-hmm. And he says it all the way back in verse six, the man who has written, withdrawn, sorry, the man who is withdrawn from the world and able to shake off his own burden of sins should imitate those who sit outside the city amongst the tombs and should not discontinue his hot and fiery streams of tears <laughs> and voiceless heartfelt groaning until he too sees that Jesus has come to him and rolled away the stone of hardness from his heart mm-hmm. and and loosed La- Lazarus, that is to say, our mind from the bands of sin and ordered his attendant angels, loose him from the passions and let him go to be blessed blessed and let him go to blessed dispassion otherwise he will have gained nothing and so your friendship with god like that's way more than friendship right there mm-hmm. that's in that in your ex- personal experience with the lord as savior is f- far more deeper than that mm-hmm. and but he doesn't dispense with that idea that we are to have an intimate encounter and I think that's pretty beautiful. Mm-hmm. And he says, when you, if you haven't had it, you know, go further with your, with your zeal yeah. in, in, your, in your renunciation of the world. Yeah, yeah. And I guess what I'm taking away from this was a couple things. But one of them being to remind myself of why I'm doing these things. And it's not just some sort of... Um, weightlifting feet or something, you know what I mean? Where you're like, mm. eh, I'm going to do this hard thing. And it's not just because we're supposed to, and it's not just because all my friends are giving up, whatever. But it's it's out of love for God and out of a desire to become closer to sure. him. Yeah. And to allow him to come closer. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, when we were talking about like starting out with great tr- toil and weariness mm-hmm. and later... Um, getting to the point where it's joyful. Um, I just think about um, the first, was it the first Lent that we were married or was it when we were engaged? I think it was married. And you wanted to do the, like, do something that was more challenging than what we'd done in my family growing up Mm -hmm. with regards to no meat for all of Lent. (laughs) And I remember feeling a strong resistance to it at first and kind of resenting and being like, but I want to do what you want to do and I I don't want to discourage you. And it's funny because that through that and the first time we did that for Lent and then maybe like Advent again or something, I kind of was very reluctant to do it if I'm quite honest. But then it's funny because I didn't notice it as being related, but I realized all these things like whenever I decided interiorly, oh, I'm going to, you know, make a little sacrifice for somebody I'm praying for, like not have milk in my tea or not have salt on my food or like something just little, I would always end up being talked out of it before I even realized it. Mm. And I, I realized that I had a deeply ingrained pattern where I have some other little voice in my head that would talk me out of doing anything that was just a little bit of a stronger sacrifice for a particular intention or in Lent or whatever. And so I didn't realize that this was related, but like to properly take fasting seriously. And I also realized how much more um, progress all of a sudden had been made on things that I had been struggling with spiritually mm. and how much more peace and like how my happiness doesn't depend on like 
having just the right supper (laughs) that I need to, or that I think I want tonight or, you know, having, I don't know, like these things that were not, it's a detachment, right? Mm -hmm. And I hadn't at first recognized the direct relationship because it happened over a couple liturgical seasons where we had done something like no meat for the whole thing. And, um, and so I would really encourage people that it, it is toilsome and wearisome, but you do all of a sudden find yourself at these points. And again, you move through these phases where you're like, Oh, this is why people do this, you know? Mm. And that there's a freedom to not needing to eat whatever, to not being like beholden to be like, Oh, I, I think for me it's food obviously, but like not to not need to have everything go exactly your way or be exactly what you wanted or whatever in order for you to just have a good day or something or a good evening or whatever, right? And there's a freedom where it's like you, you're not you're not enslaved by something the same way. And I'm not saying like I've gotten 100%, but I've just noticed it in increments every time we do a Lent or a, mm-hmm. um, or a shorter thing of some sort. Totally. Let's go to Joy next. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, totally. I feel um, like I might have rambled a little bit there. That's okay. <laughs> well, just to kind of maybe end, like, cap what you're saying, offer to Christ the labors of your youth, and in your old age, you will rejoice in the wealth of dispassion. Mm-hmm. So, like, dispassion is like the unattachment that you were talking about, that you've you realized that, oh, I'm really glad I did this because now I'm not so attached to... Mm-hmm whatever I thought was so important in this particular thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of in your old age of two years later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're thanking uh, your younger I, self. And now I almost look forward to like an opportunity um, to do something like just eat rice and beans for a day, mm. you know, or something like that. If right. there's a special intention or reason or you know, or repentance about something. I almost look forward to because I'm like, what's God going to do? Because he really does. Not that I'm saying it's like a recipe, like magic, where if you do this, this will happen. But it's like, it'll, it, you're giving him something and he can work with it, right? And so he does something profound, I find, every time I really give up something that I don't want to or something like that. Okay, I'm, I'll quote the points that he talks about joy. But as soon as our mortal mind is consumed and mastered by our alacrity, we practice them with all joy and eagerness, with love and with divine fire. Those who at once, from the very outset, follow the virtues and fulfill the commandments with joy and alacrity certainly deserve praise. And then he goes on to say in another section, let us charge into the good fight with joy and love without being afraid of our enemies. Through uns- though unseen themselves, they can look at the face of our soul, and if they see it altered by fear, they take up arms against us, and all the more fiercely. So mm-hmm. joy comes into practice uh, a few in a few ways. So one, you just learn to love the, the, the spiritual life. In that way, in asceticism, and in what you were saying, in the joy of having conquered uh, a passion or conquered attachment to a thing, mm-hmm. that you, you experience the freedom. Mm-hmm. And, and that goes along with virtues. And, and he says then the commandments. We begin to, and this goes back to, you know, to, to classical Greek philosophy, you begin to love doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You start out with not wanting to do the right thing. You start out with not liking it, you know, <laughs> to correct whatever kind of um, thing that's within you that tells you you should do the opposite. Mm-hmm. You, you start out by hating, by, you know, say it's I, um, I steal and I just love to steal. <laughs> I, just, I just adore stealing things. And I am at the grocery store and there's one thing, a toilet paper left. And I say to myself, no, you're not going to do that. At at the onset, I'm going to hate the fact that I didn't steal the toilet paper. Mm -hmm. But after the practice of it, you begin to find joy in having 
the unattachment to stealing toilet paper. Yes. <laughs> I think eating vegetables is also a good example of that. Yeah. Like at first you hate it. Oh, totally. And, and then, then you as you to begin to do it, you more feel more. better. Yeah. You crave it more. And as we become absolutely more mature and recognize it's what our body needs at first, you're just eating it like, ugh. And he's also, what he also talks about in terms of joy, joy is a very practical thing. Mm-hmm. And what I really like about this is John Climacus tells you how these spiritual things work practically mm-hmm. uh, in the spiritual life. Yeah. Joy is something that is going to save you from fear. Because when the demons see fear in your heart, they're going to go on a heyday and try to mess you up. But if you have joy, joy is a protection against evil spirits mm-hmm. because I think that's the thing. And, and I know that that might be a scary word for some people, mm-hmm. but that's the reality of the spiritual life that if you're going closer to God, just look at that icon of the divine ladder. Mm-hmm. You're going to have these little black winged idiots shooting arrows at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, and and they're, they're only pointed at people who are climbing the ladder. They're not pointed at anybody else. Mm-hmm. There's no one else in that scenario who has arrows being shot at them. And so if we have joy in our hearts, it's going to protect us from those arrows that are coming Mm -hmm. at us. And he says when he's talking about that, like if they see that you're fearful, like I've heard people say, you know, such and such like cats can smell your fear or cats bread dough can smell your fear or do you know what i mean i don't i've it's a it's a saying people say like it can smell your fear or children can smell your fear and then they terrorize you um and so bread dough yeah well i was watching it how to make bread thing and they said they can smell your fear you have to be confident with whatever they were doing okay and um (laughs) side side tangent there um but he says the cunning creature's if they've observed that you're scared, they're going to be like, all right, we're going to attack you more fiercely. But he says, but no one wants to fight with a resolute fighter. Like, so the way I take that is like, Mm. they're, my sister-in-law calls them weasels. Yeah. (laughs) The weasel, the great weasel and the little weasels. (laughs) They're weasels. They're not virtuous. They're cowardly. They're lazy. You know what I mean? Like they're, Mm-hmm. D- they despair. And so if you start out strong and you're like, no, like F off. Pardon my language. <laughs> I said F. I didn't say But oh if you're like, goodness. no, like this is not happening and you're resolute and you're like, you know, I'm definitely not, you know, giving you an inch. Yeah. Then they kind of give up and retreat and like regroup. And sometimes they come up with another different strategy. So you have to stay vigilant, but like it's, it's not for us to be afraid of them because they're actually kind of wimpy in some ways. They're easily discouraged. I think sometimes not always, but sometimes they're not bold and resolute. They're not, they're not courageous because that's a virtue. They're not diligent. That's a virtue. You can't be a virtuous weasel yeah <laughs> demon no. right yeah anyway that's that, awesome. that was just like a side like tangent i went on like it, it's i i could probably philosophically break that down if i had more time i feel like if you were aquinas you could be like it's not this is why it's not possible for a demon to have the virtue of persistence or fortitude right okay. so i'm gonna ask a question okay <laughs> and i didn't plan on asking you i just got inspired why to am right i scared now. you should be scared <laughs> What do you need to renounce still? Oh. Right? Might need to think about that. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I can answer I'm like, away. I'm like, I'm just going to at least there? try to answer this. But maybe that's this. a question for us all. Like, what do we still need to renounce? Or what do we need to renounce right now? Um, if I can go on another tangent. <laughs> I think that. I've noticed in myself and in others that our response to this current scare that we're dealing with in the news with this coronavirus um, can be telling as to what we still need to be detached from and what we don't. So, for example, I think we've all heard stories of people that have just come back from international travel and like, oh, I'm just going to quickly run and get all the groceries I need and then I'll quarantine myself. Mm -hmm. And how infuriating that is if you're someone who's immunocompromised or you have a, a condition and you're like, that's 
I'm the person, you know, or my relative is the person that could die if you do that. And they're at the grocery store with you the same time and you had it and you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that shows is that that person's, you know, for whatever reason, they're super attached to having exactly the food they normally have. Or um, people, um, people who are still gathering, like there was a doctor locally who put a Facebook message out because there were still s- students don't have to go to class and they had a couple days off while everyone regrouped and um he saw all over social media people getting together and having parties like Mm. smaller parties but still and he's saying that was not a necessary social gathering you could kill people without realizing it that's how serious this is and it's showing like that attachment that you can't be alone or you need to be social or you know in our case you know, I'm trying to have that balance between not panic buying crap or like toilet paper, right? It's like, what can I buy to control my fear? So I think these things are all telling to us, like, what about this is hard for you right now? So that's maybe a good point around which to examine some of these things. But what do we still need to renounce? What about the current situation is difficult for you? And what does that tell you about what you're still attached to more than you're attached to following the will of God and taking things as they come and praying and, mm-hmm. and being open. I'm not saying don't go to the grocery store if you need something and you're not one of those people that's, you know, potentially has it and doesn't know yet. I'm just saying it's more about examining why do I feel so this com- compulsion to, you know, for me right now, I, I gave up watching um netflix or anything by myself and try and i gave up social media and for me it's like really interesting what's been difficult being that it's lent and i gave that up and with everything that's happening i'm finding myself like oh i really want to know what's happening with this or that friend that's living in europe you know and i i really you know just I don't know what to do with myself. We have a house full of books. We have a house full of like craft supplies, you know, and yet I'm thinking about like, I'm feeling bored, but that's ridiculous. So it's like, there's obviously something that I'm working through with whatever I gave up from Lent and what's becoming hard about that now that circumstances have changed. But I don't think that means that I should ungive up whatever I gave up. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm rambling now. Do you have thoughts about this? Um, I think it's testing me and showing me. Yeah, it's testing you where more the stress is, points are in my. Yeah, yeah. Because you'll try to control the situation if you feel it anxious by doing weird things. <laughs> but we all, yeah, we, yeah, lean I into do, it. Yeah, and I've definitely noticed that. Like, I think there's something about the the toilet paper buying that's like a a, a control response. But I'm not saying that in an accusatory way. Like, I include myself in that. I haven't panic bought toilet paper specifically, but Mm. I've been tempted to buy more groceries than we really need. The grocery stores aren't closed. We've been reassured, you know, that we're not running out of anything. Mm -hmm. And so where's that coming from? And that's a question I've been sitting with. Oh, totally. Thoughts? Um, I have no real strong thoughts about that. I enjoy John Climacus and I really like his notion of what the first step is. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to my own attachments, they maybe surface. I think everyone's attachments maybe surface differently from others. I think about having all this free time at home (laughs) and how much I could be like doing things like things I like, like smoking meat, (laughs) but it's Lent right now. And I could be doing this, but it's Lent right now. And so there are different things that, little different ways that you have to die to yourself. And that's maybe where, where the whole Therese things in a little way kind of comes in. Yeah. Because, you know, for someone else, that would not be a big deal. But for me, in the depths of my puny heart, it's a little bit of a bigger deal. Um, bigger deal than we'd like to admit you. Oh, totally. Yeah. And that's um, when it comes out is when you, when you've given up meat or whatever. Yeah. Food is so far from being a, 
a just solely a necessity and it's it's grown into being that thing that we go for comfort um it's not just how you survive anymore it's how you you know it's almost food is a recreation and so having fasting a part of your life especially for people in the western world i think is getting more and more important and i would really um challenge and encourage anyone you know next year for lent maybe consider looking back at the old fast uh mm-hmm. and and take take it up or do whatever you can to to increase your penance next year mm-hmm. um or maybe in a different way than you had before that might be more challenging i think that would be really beneficial yeah. for us yeah, and I guess for the rest of this Lent, and, and especially given the circumstances, like we've been talking about, I guess, the question for ourselves is, like, what do we need to still renounce? And I think we'd both encourage people to read at least the first step of the Ladder of Divine Ascent, if not more. It's a short, shortish read, and it's not too dense, and it's we got right a lot of, out of it, obviously. Totally. <laughs> it's a 50-minute episode, I suggest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, you know, just praying. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say Wrapping aside up. from this is episode eighty. Yeah, we've done eighty episodes. Woo. It's crazy, um, and so you can binge listen to them all. Yeah, while you're while you're while you're quarantined or self isolating or yeah, just not going about your normal routine because everything's closed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And pray for our priests who are ministering in the midst of this as well. Absolutely. We just had one of our priests in Saskatoon today, a Roman Catholic priest who took the Blessed Sacrament and a statue of Our Lady of Fatima and got in a plane and flew around the city praying. <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. We Father should pray Matt. for us. The, our priests are putting themselves in a potentially hazardous situation. We're being asked to give up, you know, our kind of daily lives, but they're one of the few people who are asked or who are, who are being asked to give up their health yeah potentially so i think that's a great gift and a great witness that they're giving us yeah Anyways. yeah uh, i guess um say a prayer for them and for everybody in this time uh, in the name of the, the father the son and the holy spirit amen in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen hail mary full of grace the lord, lord is with thee, thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. John Climacus. Pray for us. And thanks very much for listening. This has been your dose of Agios. Ciao for now. Ciao.